0: Welcome to this latest edition. Today, I'm excited to be chatting to a very good colleague, friend, sister. She's actually a sister. She looks after all of us in the office and uh, her name is Dr. Sarah. Hey, uh, Dr. Sarah, welcome to the Visions and Tones.
1: Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Tony, for having me today.
0: Finally, I'm getting to have a chat with you finally this has been long overdue right
1: yep long overdue (laughs) if you
0: can tell us a little bit about yourself who is dr sarah and where you're from and what are you doing what are you specializing on at this moment
1: um thank you tony my name is sarah Aya. i am married to julius Bolamu. i have two children Sean and Siobhan but of course as you know in African culture you Mm. have other children that you have along the way you know so I have other children that I call my children many of them I wouldn't be able to count them I am from Uganda I come from the northern part of Uganda my hometown is Apache and I currently live in Sydney in the southwest of Sydney Currently, I am a lecturer at Excelsior College. I oversee the School of Business. I have been lecturing, I think, since I finished my undergrad in two thousand three. So I wow. have been <laughs> lecturing almost all of my so, I was still working life. Going
0: to university <laughs> in two thousand three.
1: <laughs> so two thousand three is when I finished my undergrad, wow. and then I joined. Uh, the business school in Macquarie University as a teaching assistant and then a few years after that went on to do a master's and then yeah I came to Australia to to do a PhD so as part of my work I teach, I do research, I do supervision and I also do the admin side of academic work Mm -hmm. by overseeing the school of business. I think that's
0: about it. Right. Yep. What I love about you is the way in which you're so pro. I'm not sure if this might be a good depiction of you, but you'll tell me, pro-African. Yep. And you sort of really believe in African principles. Part of your work that you published included a paper on Ubuntu, which probably we might sort of touch a little bit on yeah. it in our conversation today. But also I was sort of impressed in the way you are... Uh, much familiar in terms of you know the movements of Africans and which kind of surnames of people you'll find in what part of Africa. The earlier days when I met you you asked me what's your surname and I told you like probably Southern, <laughs> if you remember and you started to explain to me more about other surnames and like yeah. if the surname is like this likely the person might be western or might be eastern and whatever. How did you sort of learn all that?
1: Um, I think I would say I was first introduced to that idea of African things when we did history in high school. Mm -hmm. So in Uganda, when I went to high school, you either did East African history, West African history or South African history. In my school, we did East African history and West African history. And I actually found it very fascinating, you know, when we did West African history, and learned about the kingdom of Benin Mm. and the fact that in Benin many years ago, they already had streetlights, they had a very organized kingdom. So I think it made me very curious, you know, about my Africanness and then talking about East African history, where we talk about the Bantu migration, you know, how the tribes migrated. And then when you meet someone from let's say Zimbabwe and they're speaking Shona or you meet someone from Zambia and they're speaking Bemba and you can actually pick out, you know, some of the Buntu words. Sorry, some of the Bantu words. Mm. I think for me that was quite exciting and it made me very curious. So I think the introduction of history in high school made me very curious and later as I stepped out when I left Uganda, you know, and learning more about other african countries so i think the more i learned the more i wanted to know and i think another thing that made me also very curious was watching african movies for a long time i watched you know the hollywood movies
0: hollywood hollywood
1: Hollywood. (laughs) oh okay and then hollywood and then i got to a point where i said okay now i think i need to start you know watching you know the african movies And I think the more I watched them, the more I learned. So let's say if the lead actor was called maybe, let's say, XXX, I would go read upon the name, find out what the name means, you know, find out which part of Africa they are from, and maybe read about their tribe. So I think the movies also made me very curious. Mm -hmm. And then I think the songs, you know, the songs, especially because I'm Christian, you know, the Christian songs that you listen to. And then you start picking certain words and you're like, oh, but then I learned this in history and it means king. And then I'm finding it again in a song. Then, you know, you go read about it. So I think history, the movies, the songs, and also the fact that I'm very curious. But also living out of Africa the last maybe 12 years has given me a new appreciation for, you know, African culture. So, for instance, our names. Yeah. I was actually quite surprised to find out that certain names from other countries do not have a meaning. And I'm like... Right. Because for us, all our names have meaning. meaning, You know, they tell a story about maybe when you were born, what was happening around that time, whether you're a first child, a last child, whether you're a twin, you know, so... And then it suddenly made me realize that yeah there's actually a lot of good about our africanness that that we should not lose even some of the african values that we have you know you talk about ubuntu Mm. things that we take for granted when we're at home but when you step out of the african continent you sort of start to view and appreciate them from a very different lens that's true yeah wow
0: at what age would you say you were learning about all the movies and the history? Because I guess with that question, I'm going to the point that mm. why then did you end up in business? Because you would have been a great historian.
1: <laughs> um, so the history was in all level, ordinary level. So we did it in lower high school, uh-huh. the, f- the second, third, and fourth year of high school. But then when I went into HSC, for some reason i think because the history that they were teaching in in hsc the two last years of high school yeah. was european history mm. and i think i found it a bit maybe too complex for me to to relate to so then i didn't do history i ended up doing specializing in mathematics economics and geography wow and then yeah then i ended up (laughs) then i ended up in business so that's how i ended up in business but i think later you know in life as i got into starting to write for non-academic purposes Mm. i think the africanness came back yes yeah i was actually
0: gonna say that to say now it seems you're going back again to (laughs) history where you had come from and in today's conversation we'll be talking about you know, uh, a project you were part of. I don't know if it's a one project or it was a series of projects mm. where you came up with uh, books for children. Uh, one of them is My African Parent. The other one is uh, Akelo Nakunda Kokoraki. You'll correct me whether I'm pronouncing this <laughs> accurately. And then the other one is uh, My Leblango Alphabet Book. I don't know if I butchered things there.
1: They were close. I was close. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Yes. Probably you'll tell us um, more about them. Why Books for Children? Why, where is the inspiration from?
1: Um, books for Children, I think I've always loved children because I believe that is, that is the best place to pass on values. So I look at some of the values that I have now. 80% I wasn't taught in class. I learned as a child, you know, through socialization and even in church. I have always, you know, always been involved in kids ministry, so I teach kids in in church. So, in regard to being interested in children, I think it's just out of interest, but also the realization that childhood is one of the best places to to pick some of these values and from as an african i believe that when children are introduced to these values younger or even anything in life when children are introduced to things younger and you know they start to appreciate them from a young age the values and the things are likely more likely to stick and part of the interest also comes from the fact that i live in the diaspora you know many times you're looking for resources You can't find the resources to show your children or for your children, you know, to read. And instead of just complaining to say, oh, there are not enough books that represent Africans in the system or, you know, why aren't other people writing? I brought together my interest in writing, my interest in children and my interest in African languages. And then just put that together and decided, okay, I'll give it a go, you know. Uh, so my first book was the Akelo book. Mm-hmm. So the first one that I wrote was in my language, bilingual, in my language. So my tribe is Lao, and the language is Leb Lao. So it's like the language of the Lao people. So the first one that I wrote was Akelo Mungo. What does Akelo like to do? And I chose Akelo because. Akelo is a very common name in my tribe among the Laon people. It's also common among the Acholi people in Uganda among the people from Teso. It's common among the people from the Japadola people from Eastern Uganda. It's also very common and among other Luo communities very common name. So in every in those tribes you'll more likely find an Akelo. So I thought okay it's a name that they will identify with. So I started off with that one in my language and then I started to translate it into other languages in Uganda. So for instance this one that you read Akelo Nakunda Kukorachi Mm. Okay, hope I said it right. That is that is that is Onkole. You know, it's, it's one of the languages in Uganda. So I've had it translated into Acholi, into Alur, into Kumam, into... Luganda, Samia, uh, Japadola, so all these are Ugandan languages into Swahili, into Chinyaranda. Chinyaranda is also widely spoken in Uganda. So the Akello book is still a work in progress, but I hope to translate it into more you know, more languages, maybe even out of Uganda as well. Then the second book... Uh, Sorry, Doc, maybe before you move to the second book. Yes, please. I'm curious about the Akila one
0: because perhaps part of the things I was keen to find out from you is the way in which you're writing. What exactly is the main key thing you want to sort of draw across to people? Is it just the language issue or also activities that people do? Mm -hmm. Because to some extent, I was a little bit wondering. And hence, if you saw at some point I asked about the target audience, whether the target audience people who should be reading the book, is it people who are rich, is it people who are from marginalized con- kind of communities? Mm-hmm. It's because I was surprised to see Akelo loving swimming and I was asking myself the same question. For the community you're writing for, how many of them or is that even a matter, how many of them would relate to the activity of swimming?
1: Mm, okay. Um, thank you, Tony. So, the target audience, I believe, is any child that would any child whose parent would like them to pick an, a ugandan language um in this case when we talk about swimming uh when when i grew up we used to still go to the village quite a bit and still in the village you know it was not the type of swimming in the town but still yeah, yeah. you know people would swim in the river in the river or you know in part of I wouldn't call it swimming but still play in the in the wetland but the target audience is for you know any child whose parent would want them to learn an African language and because the books are still predominantly online I would say for now I have started with targeting children in the diaspora Mm -hmm. but then towards the end of the year I am hoping to print some more copies of these books and you know have them in Uganda
0: Wow, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. in Uganda. So Sorry for disrupting. We can go to the second no, one. Yeah, no,
1: no yeah. problem. Um, the second one is my Leb alphabet book. So still my tribe as well. And this is a picture book. So target audience is still children because children learn a lot through pictures and through visuals. So that one is very straightforward for the letters of the Lang alphabet. Ten words with a picture. And I am also looking at working on a few more on different languages, you know, across uh, Uganda and Africa. Then the third one that I've worked on is my African parents. So this one is quite new. And the target audience is for any child that has an African, you know, in their lineage and wants to learn about, you know, their lineage so i meet lots of african kids and then usually i ask them what's your name and then they say oh this is my name and then my next question will usually be what does your name mean and then most of them say does my name have a meaning and i say yes (laughs) your name is african your name has a meaning i want you to ask your parents you know what your name means and most times when i meet them again i say, did you ask Then they say, yes, I asked and my dad told me that maybe my name means God is good Mm -hmm. or my name means praise God. So I think that the desire to write this book came from that, you know. So I decided to write a book and in this book, a child whose father is Caucasian and mother is African, Ugandan, is talking about different things related to her mother's identity. So, for instance, she would say, my mother is a twin and her twin name is this. So, for instance, in my tribe, um, an older girl twin is a Peel and then a younger girl twin is a chin. So, she says, my mother is a twin. then there are questions in this book that lead a child to ask their parents questions. So, there are questions like, do you know the names for twins in your African parents' tribe? Mm. Um, the girl also talks about things like the traditional dress. You know, in Uganda, we have you know different traditional dresses, same across Africa. So she talks about the traditional dress of her mother's um tribe, which is in my tribe, we just call it uh, <laughs> we call it generally in Uganda, it's called a go- gomesi or. Uh, There are variations across the different tribes. Some say gomasi, some say gomchi. But, you know, it's the same thing, the dress. So she talks about the traditional dress. And then the question she asks the kids who are reading the book, do you know about the different traditional, you know, dresses in your mother's tribe? What is your mother's favorite, you know, traditional dress? So there are lots of things in that book in regard to the food. So she talks about the traditional food in... Her mother's tribe and then asks a question do you know the traditional foods in your mother's tribe do you know the staple foods mm. so it it seems more like A, Q&A, but it was the best way i could put it to give children who have an african lineage the opportunity to explore you know yeah to explore their lineage things like who are your uncles who are your aunties what do you call them? Mm. You know, what do they do? Because many children in the diaspora will not know, you know, they will not know their family. Mm. You know, if, if parents don't make an effort, um, things like, what do you call your grandfather in your, in your African parents language? What do you call your grandfather? What do you call your cousin? What do you call your uncle? So, yeah, an opportunity for them to, to explore
0: yeah i think that's more beautiful because within the english language sometimes there's certain limitations in terms of how do you call certain people who are part of your family members Mm. you know we are likely to just call everybody you know an uncle or an aunt but you may find that you know um a sibling to my mother is still my mother but i might call my mother with a different kind of a name so to yeah. say yeah. but to say uncle or to say aunt or to just say first cousin second cousin it sounds like all distant things and mm. you know that connection seems to sort of be somewhere lost in between somehow so i think it will really uh, educate a lot of young people about that i was keen also knowing perhaps maybe this is not an information within the book but i'd love to hear your thoughts since you spoke about a name like you know uh, what does your name mean what do you call so-and-so in your family mm those being things appearing in your book but just from your knowledge um dr sarah we know that names carry an identity they carry a purpose you know um meaning and so on and so forth for so many people for instance i'd see this in south africa that sometimes if you know a child is given a name that sounds somewhat notorious the person might tend to be notorious in reality I'd just love to hear more about that from you is that the same in the context of when we look at kids born in the diaspora having sort of african names or the notorious aspect of it also has to do with the kind of meaning that the people when they call you with they sort of you know embody or they have in their minds or it's it's different context therefore the identity of the name might not follow the behavior of the child when they're in the diaspora compared to if they are back home.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting because we've had this conversation with another friend. I think as people have moved and settled in the diaspora, they have taken on the family naming system. So you find the children will carry the last name of their father. Mm-hmm. So even when they have their own name assigned to them it will be silent okay so while i'll speak for many families in uganda there are the families that have gone with that model where they take on the father's name but then we also have families like mine where everyone has their own last name so my last name is my last name i was named after my grandmother so it's not my father's name Wow. so it's like we have two models operating so with with the one model you have someone having their first name, their own name, their own given you know last name, yeah. and then they add their father's name so I've found very few families in the diaspora where children are given their own last names and they are not carrying their parents their parents grandparents names, yeah. their their father's or grandparents' names yeah um coming back to the issue of names um i strongly believe that names are prophecies so when you give a name it's like you're foretelling you know what will become of this child and because words have creative power like you say every time we say that name we are mm-hmm. actually creating creating that um in my tribe we used to have we used to have and still have some names that have connotations that are not so good. And growing up, I saw lots of people changing their names. Uh, So for instance, their names, like in one of the tribes in my country, like Komakech. Komakech translated to English means, I am bitter. Maybe the child was born during bitterness or around the time they were born. Mm -hmm. But then some of these people, as they grow up and start to understand the meanings of names, they start to they start to change their names i have also i think seen or noticed that over time some of those notorious names in quotes are becoming less and less and less maybe from experience that if you give a name that is considered to be notorious a child actually turns out to be be notorious so yeah we've seen quite a number of cases in uganda where people actually you know change their names to still a traditional name but that has a better version but then we've also seen cases now where people are giving are translating english names into you know african equivalents so for instance instead of naming a child praise uh someone will name the child tendo because in Luganda, Tendo is praise. Yeah. Instead of naming the child blessing, you know, they'll name the child Mokisa. Instead of naming the child love, they'll turn it into Kwa Gala. So we've also seen that become a bit more common. And also in Uganda now, we are starting to see cases where people are going for double Ugandan names with no english names for their children so that's also starting to come back mm. there are many children with you know just names from two names from their tribes
0: interesting if we can get back to your books now all three of them I know that you said you are at the moment targeting children in the diaspora if we can talk about more about then the children in the diaspora do you see them as just books that parents can use in their homes or you've got a bigger vision of seeing them making it in libraries or making it in schools what's the plan about that
1: so initial plan of course start very small. Um, in homes. Uh, My next level is of course to have it in the libraries. So currently book is distributed on Amazon and via Ingramspark, so meaning it goes to quite a number of online libraries. Our next level is to have it in the libraries. I have actually contacted you know a few local libraries and few of them have responded and I need to send them samples. And of course reached out to the schools. Uh okay, only one school, <laughs> my daughter's school. She's yeah. in she's in year five now. And you know, they have that thing called the book parade. Yeah, yeah. So a child is supposed to carry, you know, a book that they like and then dress up, you know. So I'm one of those parents who is never really one hundred percent prepared. <laughs> so so last year <laughs> last year. Yeah, we got to the day, to the week, and then my daughter is like, "Oh, this week is book. Tomorrow is book parade, and I, I don't know what to take." I'm like, "Okay, you're going to take a kilo. Here is a copy of the book, and she had, she has a dress that is made with a, a material that is very common in Uganda called chikoi. Yeah. So in in Uganda it's called a chikoi, and." In my tribe, we just call it Ikoi. So she has a dress in that material. I told her, boom, go to school, you are Akelo. When they ask you what your book is, this is the book. And then... Mommy wrote it. (laughs) When they ask you, so mommy wrote it. And, you know, she she actually came back and at first, when we sent her to school, she was like, oh, this is not so cool. (laughs) You know, everyone is showing up in in all these, you know, like, I don't know, Bob the Builder, like... All these, you know, famous characters and men, she's probably thinking, Oh, I'm just showing up as someone from this book that no one knows about. But when, when she came back from school, she was so excited. Wow. She's like, you know, I was the only unique one. Everyone was asking me about the book. Now I'm famous because, wow. <laughs> because I kept dressed up as a character in my mom's book. And then the principal actually reached out and then she asked for copies of the book. Wow. So that has been really good as well. So that's, that's the plan to, to reach out to the schools as well.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. You reminded me of um, a story I had from a friend of mine. She's a comedian from Canada, and Mm -hmm. I interviewed her. Her name is Stella Ume. And she spoke about uh, she's got a biracial uh, child Mm -hmm. and with big, you know, kind of hair and whatever stuff. When she went to school, a lot of white kids were like, looking at hair and you know this kind of hair what is this and a lot of hands on the hair and stuff like that but stella i don't know if it was a book parade for the kids she actually gave the daughter a book i think it is titled don't touch my hair
1: oh yeah i don't know if you know i know that book
0: (laughs) and and apparently the book had a great impact also in educating Mm. some of the kids obviously with time they'll stumble you know back to the olden days but the more you keep on repeating because she gave the daughter again the book said go and read it again they Mm. need a refresher they forgot and when the daughter you know did that at some point then you know all that fascinating aspect of kids wanting to touch a biracial child's hair or skin or whatever sort of toned down Mm -hmm. and your story when you're sharing now um it sort of has for me, that kind of, you know, beautiful line in it, if your daughter is becoming famous, basically Akelo is becoming famous, mm. which Akelo is sort of featured in mommy's story. Were you sort of anticipating this kind of nice surprises when you were writing, or these comes as, you know, just beautiful explorations <laughs> that sort of also
1: inspire you to continue with the work more? Um, to be honest, I wasn't anticipating it, like no, I would say this just came out of. Um, I wouldn't call it a coincidence because I don't really, I don't believe anything is a coincidence. But it, it just happened that let's say God designed it that way. That yeah. the only solution I had in that time was that book and that dress, wow. because even when she reminded us the shops were closed, so you couldn't even say, oh, let's go to maybe Kmart, mm. you know, at ten and find a find a costume so no I wasn't anticipating that and even last year with the copies that sold I think we I sold maybe over 150 copies but I really wasn't anticipating that because I didn't put in a lot of marketing so Mm -hmm. occasionally I'll post on LinkedIn or post on Facebook but you know not Not that aggressively, but I think for me, that's a sign that there's opportunity and there's a lot of space for all of us, you know, who want Mm -hmm. to operate in this space in very, in very different ways. I am on a WhatsApp group with about maybe six other ladies who are doing the same thing, you know, and we do share ideas. People talk about what they're doing, their books that they're writing. And yeah, people are actually doing doing a great job mm. so i think one day at a time there's a lot of opportunity in this area
0: right yeah how can the book benefit or the books benefit by children um i'm thinking in a context that research on you know early childhood development would mm. sort of point out that very often buying Lingual children can sort of have the challenge in terms of picking up language, especially if they are in a household where you find that perhaps both parents speak a different language, and the child sort of finds themselves, or the children find themselves, you know, in the borderline as to which language mm. am I picking first? Um, and sometimes it might be at home, perhaps this way that sometimes as parents you might not communicate with your children in English but want to communicate in your local language. But then at the same time, i find that when the child goes to school and learns certain stuff, sometimes it might also be a little bit um, complicated for educators who who have not sort of dealt with bilingual children, where they may feel like this child is slow or this child is not meant to be in this class. Mistaking the child to sort of be, you know, slow in learning as opposed to understanding that kids who are from bilingual families, they tend to sort of Catch up late in terms of language. So, when you were writing your books, were you sort of keeping those in mind um, as to whether the books might create a little bit of a delay or that was not necessarily what you were concerned about, but you were more interested in? Yes, there might be a delay, but at the same time, children apparently also states points that children who are sort of bilingual or multi. Lingual, tend to sort of have a high vocabulary because they know one thing in different kinds of, you know, angles and they can explain one thing in multiple sort of mm. ways. What were you thinking in the process? Hmm.
1: To be honest, I don't think I worried about that mm-hmm. because there's been, I think, two or three schools of research on that. And one of the schools argues that when kids learn a local language or learn a local language first they actually do better at school Um, in uganda now they are starting to teach the local languages in the lower you know lower primary classes and the argument of course is to introduce kids to their local languages but also based on that body of research that kids will be able to pick other languages faster and like you say they'll have better vocabulary, Mm -hmm. they'll have a better understanding of context. So I didn't worry much about that, especially because they are bilingual. So if a child already knows English, they'll know that this is what a dog is called in English, Mm -hmm. and then this is what it is called in my language. If they don't know English yet, they'll learn it in their language first, and then The moment they see it, because they are visual, they will definitely be able to understand that this is a dog. So I didn't worry much about it.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. Um, Part of your work includes Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. And when I was preparing and looking at you, I was like, how do I phrase this question to you in a (laughs) way that it can actually make sense? Because sometimes (laughs) I say stuff and I'm like, do I really make sense even to myself? Mm -hmm. One of the set sort of intellectual books that I love is by Professor Mgugi Wabiongo hmm. on decolonizing the mind yeah. and in decolonizing the mind he says something about language which he po- sort of paints a picture also in what used to happen in you know Kenya earlier years post you know uh, colonization we can have many other countless conversation whether is it really dead or we're now in a neocolonial state mm-hmm. but that's not the case at this particular moment and he points out that in schools there used to be a culture that if a child is heard speaking a local language the child would be punished and would be taken to the authorities in the school and that actually corrupted a lot of young kids to sort of you know pursue english as opposed to also respecting their local languages And when you look at that, then you see that later on, as we grow up, there's this sort of tendency in the community that people think someone speaking English or English is a measure of intelligence, um, and of which it's a very flawed kind of a thinking, so to say. So I'm thinking in terms of your work, if you are to speak towards what I've said and also to sort of confirm whether is your work leading towards a decolonial aspect where you're thinking of decolonial decolonial aspect? But obviously decolonization also has its own different kind of school of thoughts where some believe in centering, some believe in re-centering, which basically those words mean a coexistence Mm -hmm. of your local language and, you know, a Western language, because obviously we cannot undo Western principles considering the globalized world, Mm -hmm. so to say. And then the other one would mean a total... Rep- a total replacement of anything that looks western but re- you know returning back to what one might call a pan african kind of a thinking sort of say so in terms of your work where would you sort of locate it is it more into um a harmonious coexistence in a way should it be also should your work also be viewed as more of a decolonial kind of a work so of say or not
1: um i think i view my work in terms of coexistence mm-hmm. to to show that there should be room for all of us. So when I go into a library or when I go into a bookstore, I should be able to see a range of, you know, right. books from from all cultures, you know, for for children. So I view mine as coexistence, I view it as a contribution to diversity such that when we are talking about diversity we are talking about diversity across across the board you know if if my child walks into a library or into a community library they should be able to find a range of books you know from different cultures that are that are suited for them that is in the language area of course for some other things that we can have another (laughs) conversation about i would go to actually a return to you know some of our african ways because i think some of the ways we've gone about certain things i think in trying to make them different we've lost them all together but yeah that's a different that's a conversation for a different time but
0: would you say then your work perhaps this would be be my second last question maybe is your work contributing to the linguistics aspect of ubuntu Whatever that is, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I think, yes. And you're right to ask that because one of the key components of Ubuntu is in the language. African languages have a lot of context to mm. them. Mm. So I can show concern for you without having to say anything yeah. just from maybe the gestures that I make mm. or even some of the sounds that I make, you know. So, sometimes people wonder, like, an African person will just go, hmm, and, you know, aha, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, it's, so, you know, it's, it's part of that, you know, language is part of Ubuntu, because in Ubuntu, we are talking about the sense of belonging to a community, and for you to be able to belong to a community, one of the things is to at least be able to understand the basics of the language. Because Mm -hmm. if you know people are seated and they are talking, just being able to understand the basics of, okay, let's say you can't understand the language, but at least you should be able to read the gestures and know that, okay, now this one, the gesture looks angry, but actually it's not an angry gesture. And some of those things are only picked up through, through language. And then, of course, Language is also a component of Ubuntu because it enables you know enables communication so if if let's say I met you as Tony and then let's say you're from Kenya and then I say, oh habari you know it's it sets a different tone to the conversation yeah or if maybe I met someone from you know. Nigeria and maybe I watched a movie or read a book and learned that this is how they greet or even just kids and then a child tells another kid at school oh I learned this and this about your country and this is how you call it you know it sets a whole different tone to community so yes in that way that is the contribution to Ubuntu
0: right yeah really love this it's been great having chat ch- ch- with you Dr. Sarah um, you. any sort of cutting shots from your end, pump us with that information um, as to where and how the books can be accessed and the costs if you have um, and perhaps also what we should anticipate in the future. Are you going to have a formal launch and and whatsoever?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So currently, all books are on Amazon on my page. So if you search Sarah AR you should be able to get them on Amazon. And, yeah, they are not too expensive because I would want, you know, as many people as possible to access them. And I would also like to thank everyone that has purchased a copy of my books. You know, it means a lot Mm. when I go into the Amazon report and I see, oh, today someone bought one copy. So thank you very much to all the people that have supported, all the people that have shared, you know, all the people that have bought the book, and then made a video of their children reading the book or maybe sent me a picture of their children reading the book. It means a lot. Uh, Thank you very much. We had actually planned to have a launch with my group of ladies that we share ideas with. So I think that's more likely in the works for next year because, of course, being people who come from Ubuntu, we were thinking, why should only one person launch (laughs) their book? Uh, and yet, I think this year, we've had about four of us on the group actually write books and put them out there. So we we will more likely plan for a simple launch sometime all the books. next year. Yeah, so that it's, oh. you know, the more the merrier. Yeah. Put them together, have maybe some merchandise to go with the books, you know, maybe have some speakers. So, yeah, maybe sometime next year. Once we have the details confirmed, I can share them with you. I'll
0: share it also with people.
1: I'll, I'll share that with you. Then, I think my last maybe last parting shots would be, as Africans we actually have a lot to offer. A lot to offer in terms of building community, in terms of supporting people because these are values that come very easy to us because of the way that we've been socialized and I don't think we should take our values for granted we should not look down on our values but we should use them to be that extra person in the room who brings a difference you know who brings a difference to the room i'll give you an example um when i work with people i will greet them every day how are you Mm. how is your family you Mm. know And one time, one of them told me, why are you asking me about my family (laughs) and yet you don't even know them? Uh And then I said, because that's how we greet in Uganda. I ask you, how are you? I ask you, how is your family? If you tell me your child is sick, there's no point in me telling you about all the bad things that are happening or there's no point in me asking you why you have not submitted the report. Mm. Because, or there's no point in me giving you work on that day and telling you the deadline is today because your child is sick. So I told the person, I ask you, because for us, if anyone in your family is not okay, then it gives us an opportunity to revisit how we should approach you for that day. And he's like, like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Then one day he told me, oh, I have a fish. And the next day I met him, I said, oh, how is the fish? <laughs> and then a few days later, he said, oh, the fish died. And then I said, oh, that's really sad. Then then he actually came back to me one day and said, you know what? That was really good. Because I had never thought about you know actually asking people, how are you? How is your family? How is the pet? Yeah. Because all that affects us as people. Mm. And to me, it's just my Africanness. And I don't even see it as maybe an invasion of privacy because right. yeah. <laughs> I'm just, it's part of the greeting. So I think we have a lot to offer and we should keep those values, bring them to the table because sometimes it's the light that someone needs to keep going. And lastly, to my fellow Africans, those in academia, you have a lot of skill let us put it to use to to increase our representation especially in the in the print print media mm-hmm. especially in the area of children because there's a big gap there and if we can write academic papers i'm sure we can write some of these things so yeah um thank you very much tony for thank having me lovely thank you very much that
0: is dr sarah A. please support her uh, you can check her on LinkedIn, on Facebook. She posts most of the work there. But I'll also share the links as to how you can access the book. Thank you so much for choosing the Visions and tongues podcast. And go ye and be best human beings, best versions of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thank you.